10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Good. You're listening to Sobia Stella Sunday. It's Monday the 24th of October and I'm seriously glad we're on holidays. What does outstanding sports provision and delivery look like? How has this changed during the pandemic? And why are sports so important in school? We have the best conversations coming your way today. It's another thrilling morning. Prepare for takeoff. Live from London, this is the Sunday Morning Breakfast Show with Sobia Iqbal on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Introducing a fabulous lineup today with Leadership Matters consultant Steve Wilkes and superstar Alex Kibbe from PE at Brampton Manor Academy. Thanks to everyone for joining us during half term and looking forward to getting stuck in right after this. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio this morning. Um, uh, just to let you know in advance, we did have it advertised uh, with Steve Wilkes today this morning, um, Alex Kibbe from Brampton Manor Academy, and also Lauren Weston. And unfortunately, Lauren cannot join us this morning um, as she's not well. Um, and it's something that's going around, obviously, because Graham, our host, uh, coming on to the next show, is also unwell. Um, and I have heard of many teachers going through the same thing at the moment so I'm hoping that everybody's okay today um, and feeling um, much better soon um, and also that you're getting plenty of rest during the half term as well so let's going to start off with our interviews this morning um, I've got two fabulous guests I've got Steve Wilkes and I've got uh, Alex Kibbe uh, how are you both very well Serbia thank you Alex, yeah all good here as well all good here yeah, thank you Right. Um, I'm going to start off with Steve this morning. Can you explain your background and your interest in sports, please? Yes, Obia. First of all, I, I was fortunate that I went to a school that had a massive PE program. So, uh, you know, from from right at second, well, primary school really. So my initial interest was at primary school, uh, and then on to secondary school, where we had a whole range of sports that we were able to do. So that really fostered my interest in sports, which has continued through the rest of my life. And I think perhaps relevant to here, you know, I went off to university and did an economics degree, but my second subject was PE. So when I started teaching, which was as long ago as 1980. Um, although I was teaching economics and business studies, I always taught a little bit of PE and also, particularly importantly, I think, ran sports teams. And uh, I got involved with Essex Schools Cricket, uh, and that's been something that I've been doing for over 40 years now, So, and I'm still doing today. And um, 
when I became a head teacher, I really tried to promote sport within the school and raise the profile of it because I think it's so important to everybody. Um, uh, so my main interest today, having retired from being a head, are, are the work that I still do with Essex Schools Cricket and also because all my four daughters played netball that I'm involved with Essex Open Netball Club. And Steve, um, you've, like you said, you've got a lot of experience in this. Can you just explain and outline the importance of sports in schools for our listeners? Because we don't only have teachers listening in, we also have parents and other people who have an interest in education. Why are sports so important and why is physical literacy important as well? Well, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff in, in uh, the press at the moment about obesity and mental issues because, you know, we've just been through a long period of lockdown. Um, lots of talk about how much uh, young people spend on computer games. So I think it's really important that we try and get them out. Uh, we try and get them doing something where they're physically active. I think the you know the government recommendation is 60 minutes activity per day, 30 minutes of which should be in school. So I think it's really important that they <clears throat> that they they do some physical activity. But also I think in terms of their development, you know, students who take part in sport, I think it teaches them so much. Particularly, well, whether you're an individual or a team sport, you know, if you're an individual and you do something like swimming or athletics or gymnastics it really teaches you discipline and I think if you're in a team sport you know working together is one of the most important things that we do in our lives so doing that through a team sport I think it is a real life lesson. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I always do my research for the show. And I was thinking about this very carefully as well. Why are sports so important? Um, Definitely for health and emotional fitness, um, and also confidence. Um, uh, You know, obviously, when we're working with students, we know that they need to be alert mentally, and it does improve self esteem as well. And everything that you've just said about teamwork, leadership, patience, all those social skills that they they need are are really important. there's also this aspect of mentoring. Um, of, often when we're dealing with disaffected youth, we do need to have them engaged in something that's that's larger than just academ- uh, academic um, work. And I think sports is a, a good way for that because it does help reduce stress. Um, it does instill discipline uh, and it does help with academic achievement as well. Um, Alex, I'm going to come over to you. The pandemic hit. And obviously, we went into lockdown and there were lots of things that changed with regards to the way that schools were run. Can you explain what happened during the pandemic with regards to PE lessons and any sports clubs that you were running? Was there any suspension? Because there was this huge debate in America between schools that were still offering provision and schools that refused to offer provision. So can you just explain that to us? Yeah, so I think there's, um, obviously we had two sort of lockdowns and there was a a vast difference between the two. The very first time we went into um, lockdown, I think a lot of schools were not prepared for that. Um, So I was at another school during the very first lockdown. And um, at that time, there was zero online lessons because the school wasn't set up, the school wasn't prepared for this initial lockdown. So um, they, their main focus was on English, maths and science. It wasn't so much the the physical side of things. but during the second lockdown, so um, when we sort of came out and then went back in, um, there was a lot more uh, focus on the, the physical aspect. Um, so we at Brampton Manor were actually running online PE lessons. So we had um, 
whenever the the students were timetabled in um, on a, like a Thursday morning, for example, um, we'd have all the students log on in their PE kit and they would um, complete a, a PE lesson, whether it was a, a fitness circuit, um, whether we posted on Google Classroom to uh, go out for a run or complete um, a particular circuit. So certainly during the second um, lockdown, there was a much greater focus. Um, in terms of clubs, um, we didn't actually run any um, sort of after-school um, clubs, as it were. Um, ours was mainly focused during the, the timetabled lessons. Well, that's amazing that you were still running um, the uh, lessons online because uh, some schools didn't have that uh, advantage mm. because obviously it depends on uh, resources uh, and obviously motivation of students and obviously uh, investment from parents as well uh, with regards to some schools. Um in terms of in terms of uh the press after the pandemic it was reported that there's recently been millions invested into schools from sport england can you explain how that came about um and do you know much about the sports premium can you just explain all of that to us yeah um so obviously Physical education and sport has um, has never been at the forefront. I would say personally, from a from a PE teacher's point of view, it's never been at the fore of um, sort of the focus of education. But recently, obviously, in the last uh, sort of eighteen months, um, there's been a big shift towards the importance of sort of mental health, as Steve alluded to earlier, and also the the physical well being of students. And having come back from um, two sort of quite lengthy lockdowns, you can see the impact that it's had on children. Um, there's there has been as sort of uh, has been a, a problem across the whole country there's been a lot of sort of um issues with weight and issues with mental health about self-confidence things like that so um the investment from sort of sport england has we've had a lot of sort of like information flyers come through from lots of different providers about getting children back into sport um in terms of the the sports premium i don't know too much about the um the sports premium side of things but i definitely know there's been a huge Im- uh, amount of investment um, in terms of getting students active outside of school, because we know that um, a lot of lost learning has happened. So the importance of getting students active in school, but also in their time outside of school, there's been a huge push on that as well. Okay, so if I just go through um, a DfE uh, department plan that was um, recently published in 2020, um, 2019, sorry. Um, It was an action plan, which was basically uh, a cross-collaboration between the DfE, uh, the DCMS, which is the Department for Digital Culture, uh, Media and Support, and also the Department for Health and Social Care. Um, And the reason why they did this investment is because they wanted to make sure that all children have the opportunity to take part in at least 60 minutes of physical activity every day. And that was due to um, the pandemic. And so when they did this, um, their guidance says that every child should have between 30 minutes to an hour, ideally, of PE every day. And they also specified, and the sports premium, just for our listeners who aren't aware, is mainly for primary schools at the moment, um, because that's what the report is uh, based around. And they say that funding should be spent on developing sport within the school and that's things like buying additional equipment things like CPD, uh, offering extra clubs and training students to be young leaders and upskilling current staff. However, It also says that funding should not be used for additional coaches or PPA cover and the funding must be spent by July 2022. Now, 
my question is, have you seen that funding come through to schools, Alex and Steve? I think, yeah, obviously it is aimed at primary schools and I think the funding comes through to um, primary schools, but I think there are lots of issues with it. I think you can't underestimate you know, what is needed in a primary school to actually get that money spent. You need people in there with enthusiasm who actually believe in PE and want to do it. Now, in lots of schools, that might be the case. In others, it is not. I think it's really unfortunate that a number of years ago, we had um, funding for schools partnership, which were partnerships between primary schools and secondary schools. And I think they made a big difference to sport in Redbridge. And unfortunately, that money was withdrawn. And, you know, each secondary school had a schools partnership coordinator who was responsible for the liaison between primary schools and secondary schools. And I think that now has left a big gap. And I think that was that was a real shame that that initiative um, is no longer there. So I think if you go to different primary schools, you will see you know, different ways in which that money has been spent, very much according to the interests of the teachers at the school. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing my research, um, and I did speak to our head of uh, PE at the school that I'm currently working in, which is in Waltham Forest as well, and they were saying similar things that um, some of this funding goes towards paying for staff TLRs or additional coaches uh, used for PPA, which isn't ideal because that's not what it's supposed to be for. And they have noticed that there's less PE and poor quality due to this outsourcing. Um the other thing is that there has been limited amounts of training in ITT, which obviously makes an impact because it results in a lack of confidence in delivering high quality lessons. Um, and all of these outsourced companies, um, they're getting sports coaches to deliver lessons instead. And sometimes they're delivering lessons such as Zumba or football, or even people who just hold level one or level two coaching qualifications come in. But these companies are essentially about making profit. So the quality is not necessarily good. And when I'm talking about companies, there's two particular ones, which I'm not allowed to name on the radio, uh, just in case. But there are two major companies um, that are tapping into the market, but it seems like they're only doing it for business and their service delivery is really, really poor. So my question is, Alex, I don't know if you've heard of this, but even Steve, in fact, do you know about schools that are offering qualifications such as BTEC linked to these sports clubs? So, for example, they're, they're massive sports clubs. It could be a football club or a cricket club, but without having the best interests of students at heart. So they're kind of leading them on thinking they have a chance to play for them when really they don't. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, just from a uh, so this is something that I've had a lot of uh, interest in. So when I went to um, when I was sort of studying my sixth form, my A levels, um, this this was the first sort of time they came about. Back then, I think they were called like pace schemes, is what sort of they were they were known as. They've now sort of changed um, into a slightly more academic, but. Um, I do think they have the the hopes and wishes of children. They they link with these professional football clubs, use those as sort of a, a carrot to lure the children into um, maybe options that aren't the best for them academically. Um, uh, I'm from, or originally I'm from Kent, and there was there was one that had, um, I think they had a uh, almost 200 students go to. They had eight or nine different football teams, um, obviously sort of differing in ability and things like that, and it. 
children would go there with the the intention that or the hope that they would make it into the first team which realistically was very very unlikely and the quality of education they get there is far worse than um, what it would be if they went to even a, a, a college or a sick form um, so I, I do know about these these sort of schemes and um, I would always what are your thoughts on it Alex like how do um, you feel about it if if a student came up to me and, and asked me in our sick for, uh, in our sort of year eleven and was said so I'm, I'm looking at going to do this um, at school I would sort of be very wary of them. Um, I would say if 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 football's something a route that you want to go down that might be something you do outside of school. I would definitely push them towards a sixth form college route rather than one of these football academy um, sick or football academy colleges as they sort of like to call themselves now because they do use this carrot of. Um, these professional or semi-professional football clubs to to try and get these mainly boys in. Um, and I, I believe, as far as I know, there's a sort of a price attached to each student, which is why they try and get as many students in as possible um, whilst linking with that football club. So I, I would be very wary of um, encouraging students to go to these clubs. Um, what about you, Steve? Yeah, Sobia, there are a, a number of schools around now that sort of run um, what they call academies. So it could be a basketball academy, a netball academy, a football academy that are often based around BTEC type qualifications. And I think what they're trying to do is to try and, you know, maintain the interests of students who have got a really interest in sport. Uh, and and that's their key focus, and try to uh, and try and provide them with more opportunities to develop. And you know, not necessarily they're not necessarily going to become professional footballers or basketball players or whatever. But it may be that they find a career in sport as well, and that they go on to to university to do something related to sport. Because there are lots of things you can do with sport other than actually playing it at a professional level. Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know for parents and for for school staff to understand that is sometimes it's about branding for the school or the the academy or whatever it is that's offering these facilities or uh, these incentives uh, to uh, you know to go into schools and like Steve's just said it is a, it, there is a bigger world out there and it's not just about playing for international clubs or uh, or sports teams but it's actually about um, having a well-rounded uh, broad and balanced uh, curriculum and thinking about realistically what it is that uh, our students can achieve one of the things that came out of this investigation that I was going through was that with regards to school P funding, um, there was a, not every school is using it well. And there was a report in the newspaper um, from BBC Sport, actually, um, in uh, May. Yeah, it was in May 2021 this year. BBC Sport uh, ran an article saying that there was a school that um, was actually doing really well. Uh, attainment levels shot up from 27% to 63% for age-related expectations. So that's academic achievement. Um, and it was a school that was in Bradford. And that was because of the introduction of more sport. Um, one of the problems is that not every school is using the money well. And because there's not enough money left for PE, um, what happens is that nobody checks the online reports on a yearly basis that's on school websites. Um, and one of the one of the uh, things that the article highlighted was that because Ofsted doesn't monitor them, 
schools get away with not using funding correctly. So, for example, one primary school spent £100,000 of £230,000 of PE funding elsewhere inappropriately, and it was on things like iPads, minibuses, PE coaches to cover PPA. And because they're not held to account by Ofsted, they're they're getting away with it, um, especially with extracurricular activities as well. Um, it's something that schools need to think about and be aware of that, uh, you know, we we do need to think about when we do get that funding coming in that we are using it appropriately. Um, Alex, with regards to the pandemic, if we just go back a step, um, were you having cross competition with other schools during the pandemic or was it just within your own bubbles and things like that? Um, so the majority of things were within our own bubbles, but... Um... I do remember our school's based in Newham and um, Newham is uh, very good for putting on sort of uh, inter um, sort of borough competitions. And there were um, some inter-borough competitions where, for example, students had to complete a number of challenges, uh, physical challenges, things like that. So it wasn't necessarily organised by our school, but um, the borough and the sports partnership we were involved with um, put on some of these challenges to try and um, increase physical activity across the whole borough and within schools and also to introduce that element of competition as well. So I do remember there were um, there were maybe three or four, especially towards the end um, of that lockdown period um, where there were there were competitions and inter-borough um, activities put on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of the funding that was released, it happened after lockdown and it was also encouraging those with SEND needs as well. So um, can you just, for our listeners, go through the um, DFE guidance about school sport and activity action plan? Um, do you, do you, are you aware of the government's ambitions and what they, they are looking for with regards to sports in schools? Um, on a basic level, I am. I, th- I think it's taken, in my opinion, it's taken too long for the government to um, to realise and take note of how important physical activity is, not just in terms of um, ability-wise, but also the, the holistic approach in terms of mental health, in terms of social health, in terms of physical health, um, for them to finally sort of put something in place uh, to increase school activity levels, um, student activity levels, I, I do think it's taken a little bit too long. Um, as I, d- I don't know the plan in depth, um, but I, I do think it's a positive um, move towards increasing students' uh, physical activity levels because um, certainly in the last, uh, I've been teaching now for seven or eight years and year on year, it seems to be that the students that are coming into secondary schools, um, there's a, an ever increasing amount of students that may be coming in overweight or obese. Um, and I do think that's a, a nationwide problem. Um, that stems from, as we sort of mentioned earlier, primary schools, maybe the funding not being used correctly and and not having enough importance on um, students' physical activity levels um, sort of lower down in the uh, the age. So if I... I mean, I agree with a lot of what you've said, and I'm just going to, I'll go through the report myself in a minute. Um, There was a study from VU University in the Netherlands that showed how exercising can improve the attention span of school pupils. And there was also a report from the Pediatrics Journal, which showed students who exercise after school can improve their executive control. Um, It then goes on to say um, the hippocampus is the part of the brain that's responsible for learning and memory. And the Brain Research Journal found 
found that regular exercise helped to grow this part of the brain and consistent cardiovascular based exercise is linked to better brain functionality and improved memory. So when we're thinking about that, having sharper brains and a better capacity to retain information, it means that creativity is boosted. Um, and also Stanford University found that it, there was an improvement in divergent thinking, which is of, obviously out of the box uh, idea creation, um, which is all, you know, useful for our students. Um, and the University of Illinois, uh, Illinois, sorry, in uh, in uh, America, found a strong relationship between the fitness of children and their performance academically. So I'm 100% spot on with that, um, Alex. That you know the government has taken slightly too long to actually uh, think about and sports uh, within schools. Um, with regards to the report, this is I'm just going to go through a few things that they've said. They've said that um, there are stubborn inequalities which still remain. So, for example, children from black, Asian and minority ethnic groups and poorer backgrounds are less active. And presumably that has also got to do with the fact that a lot of them don't have gardens uh, and are unable to uh, exercise in their own areas. And a lot of them are girls as well. And they say that the gender gap starts at five years old and too many children are losing confidence. They're losing understanding and enjoyment of sport as they progress through to secondary school because their activity levels decrease throughout the education system. Um, by 2013, the government's plan is to halve childhood obesity. Um, and it's usually children from the most and least deprived areas uh, that are going to be affected by this plan. Um, young people's mental well-being is important um, because one in eight five to 19-year-olds have at least one mental health disorder. Um, and it's to help with their future aspirations as well. So it's not just to help with self-esteem, emotional health and well-being, anxiety and depression, but it's also to help, like Steve said earlier, with future aspirations of things that they might want to go uh, into in the future. So that has come down into schools now, presumably for most schools uh, across the UK. Um, building a habit of daily physical activity is important um, and also the government has asked for schools parents and sports clubs or any other activity providers to make sure that they're all working together to improve access to sport and activity because it's really hard for one person to do on their own um what are your thoughts so far steve yeah, right. Uh, so so let's go back to the starting point. So the starting point is you've got to get more children active and interested in primary school. And I said that that is not easy because it depends on the enthusiasm of primary school teachers. I was in a primary school a couple of weeks ago where there are only four teachers. So you're, you're depending on one out of those four at least being interested in developing PE provision. So you will find a wide variety in primary schools. I go back to what I said before, They, you need to link the primary schools to secondary schools, but because you've lost that funding, that is more difficult because then you can use the expertise you've got in secondary schools and the facilities in secondary schools to support primary schools. Because remember, a lot of primary schools haven't got much in the way of facilities. Generally, the secondary schools will have much better facilities. So if you get those students in primary schools interested and in working with secondary schools, you can then start to, to build on, 
on things. And then it's important in secondary schools to get involved with clubs because whatever the sport, you're never going to be able to provide enough within a secondary school and you want to push those students out into clubs because we're not only looking to educate them till 16, 18. If they go out into a club, they've got something they can do for the next 30, 40, 50 years, depending on what the sport is. So I think it really is about getting primary and secondary schools working together, and that is the place where I think more funding is needed, and to, to, to put back in place those school sports partnerships, which I think were very effective. They did a number of events, um, really, I think, promoting PE throughout local authorities, and it was a real shame that they, they were mis- you know, we've missed out on that funding. Um, Yeah, I mean, the report goes on to say, thanks for that, Steve. The report does go on to say that it's really important for high quality modern PE lessons that engage young people um, to get them active throughout the whole school day. So not just for one lesson, but throughout the whole day. Um, And it's also saying that primary schools need to make use of PE specialists, like uh, like Steve's just said, um, and also build it in... um, with drop-off activities by older pupils. So even having students helping them throughout uh, throughout the sessions as well. Um, now, Ofsted's new inspection framework, which obviously came into effect from September, said that they're going to give greater recognition to schools' work to support the personal development of pupils, such as having the opportunities to learn about eating healthily and maintain, maintaining an active lifestyle. And it says here that inspectors are expecting to see schools offering children a broad balanced education including opportunities to be active during the school day and through extracurricular activities can i just pick up on that a couple of other i think really important points one i do know of schools already because they are concerned about lost learning and gaps in children's education Mm -hmm. who are taking away some of their pe time and giving it to english and maths because they think that's really crucial And, Mm -hmm. and the other big challenge and i think alex could pick up on this is that due to lockdown, obviously, a lot of extracurricular activity is very slow in getting started. And we're a Mm. long way from having the amount of extracurricular provision in schools, which is so important. We're a long way from where we were pre-lockdown. And I think it's going to take a long time to get back to the pre-lockdown situation for a whole variety of different reasons. Alex, what's your situation in your school and what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think some really good points raised um, by Steve there. Just going back to a previous thing about primary, I think the issue is that it's very cyclical. If if the children have a bad experience in primary school of taking part in sport, if the if the delivery isn't right, I think that then stems into maybe a, a subconscious dislike of physical activity and then that sort of brings it on into um, secondary school. So I, I do think uh, the root of the problem is good quality provision um, in primary schools, which will then help uh, the delivery and the uptake of um, physical activity in clubs and sports and things uh, in secondary school. Um, in terms of provision, in terms of extracurricular, um, things like that, I can, I can totally see why some schools are taking um, PE time away to give to uh, year 11s, for example. Like the current year 11s, they've in theory missed almost one whole year um, of their school their school sort of experience um, because they were obviously from January through to July in 2020, they were um, out of school. And then from January till sort of late March, they were out of school. So they've missed almost 
uh, nine, ten months of, of education. So I can totally see why. But the important thing is to get these students back physically active. Um, as you mentioned earlier in that report, there's been many, many studies into the importance of physical education in terms of mental health, in terms of concentration, in terms of focus, problem solving, creativity, things like that. Um, at our school, we're very, very fortunate that um, our uptake and our um, capacity has allowed us to run um, extracurricular back to almost what it was before sort of pre-pandemic. We have, I would say, maybe two to 300 children most nights taking part in extracurricular activities. Wow. Um, yeah, so we have a huge, I, I mean, we're a, we're a big school anyway of, of 2,800, including sick form. Um, but we have, um, I would say, yeah, well over 200 students taking part in different physical activities, sort of five days a week. Um, we run so clubs. And- Go on. I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt you, Alex. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know our listeners, Alex does work at Brampton Manor Academy. That's correct, right, Alex? That's correct, yeah. Um, and the Prime Minister recently, you know, highlighted your school as being outstanding and having outstanding provision. So in your school, can you just explain to our listeners what is your outstanding provision? How are you delivering pre PE and what is fantastic about so many kids I mean what are you doing that's making so many kids turn up to your sessions after school because that is actually quite a big thing yeah uh, we're very very fortunate um we're a very well run school first of all it's sort of run from the top down very well um but I think the the capacity that we have um allows us to run these activities so as I say, we have um, at least six or seven sort of physical activity clubs five nights a week. Um, members of staff um, are sort of PE members of staff are to run three clubs a week um, after school. So it's not even that all staff are doing five days a week. Um, we we base our extracurricular activities upon our timetabled lessons. So um, we try to encourage every student to take part in in at least one club a week. Um, there's obviously some students that we don't get to meet that sort of quota, but um, there are many, many students that take part in two, three, four clubs a week. Um, we're in a maybe a different position. Our school day finishes at 2.35, which encourages students um, to take part in enrichment activities after school, whether that is physical activity, whether it is science, maths, English. Um, so there is that... Um, additional character finishing early which means that we still have the opportunities to take part in activities until four o'clock um but i I think it just comes down to our enthusiasm within lessons i think the recruitment at the school is very very good certainly in our department um all members of staff are reading from the same hymn sheets um they really enjoy getting students along to extracurricular um whether that's to improve quality of um of applications so whether that's to improve ability or it's just to get students along we have two fully functioning gyms um we have a lot of facilities so I, we are blessed more so than maybe some other schools especially in the newham sort of inner london area um but yeah I, what we provide is um is really fantastic thank you for that alex um 
I'm going to go back to this report because obviously uh, this report is very important um, and it was published um, during the pandemic. Um, it also says in this report that the government's going to be working with an organisation called Sport England um, and they're also going to work with other experts such as uh, lots of different organisations. I'm not going to read all of the organisations because there's a lot of them. But basically, is saying that they're going to have a joined-up approach to sport and physical activity. And it also goes on to say that they need to ensure that they are working alongside high-quality clubs, they're having competitions and activities outside of school. Um, and also, and this is really important for my listeners, because sometimes what happens in schools, um, it's like in the government or the media, um, schools get criticised a lot. And I think it's important for parents to understand that there is a role that they have to play. And one of the things that this report does say is that the role of parents is crucial in encouraging and supporting children to develop healthy habits that, you know, will benefit them through lives. And Noam's just messaged in (laughs) and I'm glad he's messaged in because he's actually um, he's debating me saying that um, young children don't need uh, regular exercise, but it is vital for people uh, when they're much older um, because obviously that that physical activity uh, is important um, but obviously essentially parents have a role to play in this as well and my, my thoughts on this are if 194 million pounds is being spent and above from you know lottery funding projects or you know from wherever the funds are coming from these are making sure that schools are supported to get young people to stay active. And I think it's a really important message to send to parents that you do need to be actually engaged to make sure that you're helping this process. What are your thoughts, either of you? I think from um, from a, a, a teacher's point of view, I, th- I think the education needs to start within school. Certainly, if if I were to just take a cluster of our students, they're... Um, our our pupil premium, our free school school free school meal percentage is very very high, um, which suggests maybe um, a low income family, which um, you can caveat with um, particular um, relationships at home. Maybe they don't see their parents as often. Um, as a form tutor, we expect our students to um, have their diary signed. They, some students might go three or four days without having direct contact with their parent or carer because they're working nights or they're out during the day. Um, so I think it's so important to educate the children first. Um, and then if they can impart their knowledge to their parents, um, then I think that's going to be hugely beneficial. But I think it's so difficult for parents um if a parent or carer has gone 30 or 40 years without seeing a, a um, seeing the importance of physical activity, eating healthy, things like that, it's really difficult for them to change their mind once they've had 30 or 40 years of, of feeling a particular way. Um, so I think the education needs to start with the children. Um, if they can become sort of autonomous, what do I need to eat? What do I need to be taking part in? Things like that. I think they can in some ways impart their knowledge onto their parents and, and, be sort of self-sufficient in terms of the way that they um, they live their lives as such. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Steve, do you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, there are schools that particularly target their pupil premium students and look to try and get them involved in extracurricular activities, which I think is, is a really good starting point. But I appreciate then the issue is, you know, getting support from parents. Yeah, um. 
I think it's it's an important thing uh, for schools to um, to really engage with their communities and really think about parental contact um, and how they're actually communicating with certain communities as well. And we'll come on to that a bit later on. Um, obviously, this action plan that the government has released is a 25-year uh, environment plan that they're also uh, um you know, using and also to get students outside with the natural world. Um, there's there's been ten million pounds invested uh, as part of this children and nature program, um, and especially from those from disadvantaged backgrounds, like you just said, pupil premium to access the natural environment uh, to support their health and well being. Um, and there's it's also feeding into other priorities such as uh, increasing active travel through cycling and walking to school, uh, which has also been uh, bought by the, tra- the Department for Transport's uh, Cycling and Walking Investment Strategy. So obviously the government has this big major ambition, which they, they want to make sure that's delivered uh, properly. Um it's really important for schools to review their sport and physical activity provision, making sure that all pupils have access to sufficient opportunities. Alex, can you give us your example of when you were working? I mean, obviously, right now you're working in a really good school in you know the borough that you are. What about your previous experience? Because you were mentioning to me that you have had other experiences which weren't you know necessarily the same. Yeah, so um, my previous school was in the borough of Southwark, uh, Elephant and Castle. Um, it was actually a, a sort of an all through school. So it was a primary school and a secondary school. Um, so there was a really close link between the two schools. Um, the first year that I was teaching there, um, they actually um, gave uh, the P department two or three hours of teaching over in the primary school. Um, and then they moved away, uh, employed a um, specialist PE coach. He wasn't a qualified teacher. Um, he was a, a PE coach to come in and deliver sessions um, for those students, which actually, it might have been um, sort of luck more than judgment, but the, the, the coach that came in was an absolutely amazing coach. He cared for the children. He cared for um, the activities that they were doing. He really wanted to see these children progress. But I understand that that's not necessarily always the case. Um, so they did do a fantastic job um, bringing that coach in. But I can see how some schools um, leave PE, especially primary schools, leave PE by the wayside um, and have a, a greater focus on um, the academic side of things um, from that point of view. And obviously, the school that I worked in in Southwark in Elephant Castle, the facilities there, very limited by space. Um, so the, the provision that we were able to provide there was far less than um, what we could provide if we had much better facilities, um, which ultimately is is what it comes down to. If you if you have the facilities, if you have the the availability to deliver a wide and, and broad provision, it's obviously going to impact upon the students a lot greater than it is if, if you're able to provide a limited amount of of uh, opportunities. Thank you. So Sabia, just to can summarize. I just talk- Yes, Could I just say ahead, a couple please. of things? You know, I, yep. I think what well, was really important. So when I was head at Oaks Park, one of the things we particularly looked at doing was just to try and broaden the range of sports that we offer to students to, to, to get more students interested. So we obviously run the traditional sports, but some of the things that really took off, and, and you just mentioned cycling, there was a lots of activity there where we were able to get free bikes into school. So we did a lot of cycling 
indoor rowing took off whilst I was there, uh, handball, volleyball. So we tried to develop the range of sports that we offer to get more students interested. Uh, and, and I think that certainly worked because that really increased the numbers of students we have participating. And I would also say that there are some really good examples of schools that do a lot of activity with students. And, um, you know, so, so it's not all doom and gloom. Okay, so if we just um, thank you for that, Steve, because that that is also a very important part that the provision that you have in schools is really important and to have a wide range of provision. Uh, Lauren's not with us today, but Lauren was also saying a similar thing last time she was on my show, um, that the uh, amount and variety of sports that her school offers uh, was really important and key into getting students engaged with that. So that's really interesting because obviously um, Oaks Parks is also from Redbridge uh, and from East London as well. So really, really glad to hear that those things are happening in uh, disadvantaged areas as well. And also, um, I think, just, can I, just one other point. Yep. Also, I think the fact, you know, we, we try to encourage as many students as possible to participate. But, you know, within Redbridge generally, you've got some people who have really gone on to achieve at, you know, in professional sports so uh, from Oaks Park for instance we've got two players playing in the Premier League at the moment uh, and and one of them uh, Courtney Howes scored the winning goal for Aston Villa at Manchester United a couple of weeks ago so you can't get you know a greater achievement than that and Jamie Porter opens the bowling for Essex so so when students see these you know kids from their school who have really achieved in professional sport I think that raises the profile as well. That's really, really good, actually. And Steve, uh, I'll talk to you afterwards, but it might be good to get Courtney to come on to the show mm-hmm. as well, um, because that that sounds fantastic that somebody that, you know, students from, you know, our areas where, you know, we are known as to be disadvantaged have made it into the big leagues. So, yeah, really happy with that. Um, just to summarise the ambitions that the government has and the report that they're talking about, they've said that there are three overarching ambitions and we've already mentioned them, but I'm just going to summarise this again. Number one, all children and young people take part in at least 60 minutes of physical activity every day. Number two, children and young people have the opportunity to realise de- developmental character building experiences through sport competition and active pursuits. Um, So skills such as confidence, self-belief, resilience and friendship and fair play, um, as well as tackling loneliness and social isolation, which is really important uh, in this day and age. Um, And giving back to communities as well. And then number three, all sport and physical activity provision for children and young people is designed around the principles of physical literacy, which focuses on fun and enjoyment and aims to reach the least active. And that means that we're starting from early learning, um, making sure that people who are less active, uh, so for example, girls and those from uh, black ethnic minority backgrounds, build confidence and develop positive relationships with sport and physical activity. So there's quite a lot in this report, which I was pleased to see. Um, Obviously, the main concern is whether this is coming down and being filtered into schools. And like we've just discussed with Steve and Alex, it is something that every school leader needs to think about um, because Ofsted will be looking for this uh, as well. and the last thing with related to this report, um, it says that um, it's important 
um, for teachers to measure the impact of actions and make sure that the commitments that have been outlined in the report are actually met as well. So I'm going to stop there for a minute because we're going to have a bit of a break. Um, thank you, Steve and Alex, so far. We're going to carry on with both of them afterwards. Um, Steve, Alex, is there anything you want to add before we go to a break? Not for me no, at the moment. Yeah. Obviously, Alex okay, we'll and I back. are conv convinced of the need to, you know, to get more students involved in sport. It's, conv <laughs> it's we'll convincing others. Yeah, exactly. We'll definitely come back and carry on the conversation. Thank you both for the first half of the session. We'll be back after the news. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In an article published on the University's UK website, it has been highlighted that most teaching, learning, student support and extracurricular activities are now being held in person on many campuses. The article challenges the narrative about the student experience being primarily online and makes it clear that this is not something that University UK recognises. Universities UK state that for most students it will be a student experience much more like what universities were offering pre-pandemic. The article goes on to acknowledge that some elements of teaching and learning are still being delivered online, but that there is no one-size-fits-all, and that the online offer will differ from university to university. Half a million more disadvantaged children are to receive new laptops and tablets to provide access to education and support. The government has announced a £126 million funding boost to the Get Help with Technology programme. 
The funding boost will provide up to 10,000 new laptops and tablets to all children with a social worker and those leaving care, and children who have recently arrived from Afghanistan. The scheme will also provide additional devices to schools and colleges to support pupils who are not in lessons due to COVID-19. The Education Secretary, Nadim Zahawi, said £126 million investment for those children who need them most will complement learning in schools and help drive our work to level up long-term outcomes for those in care or leaving care. In the Channel Islands, ITV News is reporting that school pupils and staff in Jersey are being urged to keep testing themselves for coronavirus during the October half-term. In a letter to schools and parents, Deputy Medical Officer of Health, Dr Ivan Muscat, says it is essential for islanders to remain vigilant following an increase in transmission rates across the British Isles. Dr Muscat says that twice-weekly lateral flow testing and reporting of positive cases is even more vital during the holidays, as people are more likely to be travelling abroad and mixing with friends and family. More than 6,500 students and school staff have signed up to the testing scheme so far. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. Right, welcome back. Uh, thanks for the news there, Joe. Um, our news readers are very good in uh, keeping us up to date with everything that's happening in education. There's a lot of people who work behind the scenes at Teachers Talk Radio that don't normally get a shout out. So this is for the news team, just to say thank you very much for all the work that you do behind the scenes. Okay, so I'm joined by Steve Wilkes today and uh, Alex Kibbe. And uh, we're basically discussing uh, the provision of sports in schools. Uh, we're talking about funding. We're talking about the government's uh, re report regarding the sports premium. Uh, and we're also talking about the importance of sports within schools as well. Um, just to summarise everything that we've been discussing, we've just been talking about the government report that was released on the sports premium. Um, we were just saying how it's really important for schools, uh, parents, uh, clubs uh, and other providers to really engage and work together to develop this commitment uh, to ensure that all students are receiving the best provision uh, within their local areas. Um, and the government in their report in uh, September 2020 did say that part of this vision is to drive up activity levels in local areas uh, to make sure that we're you know we're having a local approach uh, that tackles the issues that are happening uh, in their area uh, informed by evidence um, and it's a way of empowering students as well um alex i'm going to come back to you um can you just explain to me, um, with regards to students from BAME backgrounds or disadvantaged backgrounds, they're usually less active. How can we really support and engage them and get them involved with physical literacy? I think it's I think it is really difficult, if I'm totally honest with you, just because of the opportunities that they have outside of school. Um, we can only do so much in school. We have our hours within the school day. We have our extracurricular opportunities. But truth be told, students need to be taking part in activity outside of school to really reap the rewards of, of, of physical health. But also if they if they want to um, take part in clubs, we, we, we obviously see them up until the age of 18. But post 18, if they stay on for sick form, um, it's really down to them and their their love and passion for sport and especially the BAME backgrounds and and the uh, free school meal students things like that it, it all comes down to the opportunities that they have outside of school and their 
um, the active participation from their parents or carers um, to ensure that they are making the most of these opportunities. Um, another, what are your thoughts? Uh, sorry, go on. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. Um, I was just going to say another, another difficulty could – a lot of the problem we see during – especially winter um, – our clubs finish at four o'clock. Obviously, the nights start to draw in. Um, another big challenge is, is the area that you, the area that the school is based in. There's there's often a lot of um, issues outside of school. Parents don't necessarily allow their children to um, go home by themselves at four o'clock in the winter when it's dark. Things like that. Um, so I do think the area that the school is based in also has a has a big role to play, especially during some months within the year. If you're a um, a private school out in Essex, Hertfordshire, those sort of areas, you don't sit necessarily see the challenges that um, students in inner London especially also face. So I, I think there's many, many different factors that, um, that impact upon um, those children from those backgrounds in particular uh, taking part. You mentioned a very interesting point about, um, you know, having these extracurricular clubs and, you know, having the parental engagement and having that time and space based on the area that you're you're in. What mm. are your thoughts on youth activity clubs that have obviously been closed down or cut down? Do you feel that that was something that we could have that could have improved the engagement? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think every, it's obvious for everyone to see no one person or no one group or no one collective can can make the impact that is required. It needs to be um, a tackle on all fronts. It needs to be schools. It needs to be youth clubs. It needs to be councils. It needs to be as many different people pulling in the same direction as possible. Um, there's, there's been so many youth clubs and youth centres and, and outside opportunities for children to take part in in even limited physical activity, but in safe spaces um, that, that have closed and shut down. And that, that's just another avenue that children, especially from those backgrounds, um, now can't access, which indirectly or directly impacts upon their activity levels. What about you, Steve? I mean, you've been in the profession for a very long time and you've seen so many changes uh, across the years. What are your thoughts on, you know, things like this? Well, you, you know, I think... I would say that all levels that it has become more challenging, I think, is more challenging for, for people in secondary schools because I don't think enough of them value the importance of PE. Uh, and I think it's even more important now that schools work really closely with clubs because for a lot of these young people, it's important to get them into a club. Going back to the person who, who put something on the chat a while ago about the importance of exercise in middle age, well, if they go into a club... Uh, an early stage you know a lot of those will stay at those clubs for a long period of time if it's the right sort of environment for them so I think it's really important that we're sort of signposting students to to clubs uh, because that that'll have a massive impact on their lives but it's, it's it's difficult getting some of those groups into clubs so a lot of thought needs to go into that thank you um, Can I just Alex. say that Essex County Cricket Club do do quite a lot of good work in this area as well, and put in. So, can you just put, explain what they do, Steve? Yeah, they, they, they've set. You know, Essex County Cricket Club have you know are really focused on trying to to get into local communities, and they're going into primary schools and, and doing training and support. And this is not something that's charged for. So, so they do a lot of work in, in those to try and get you know, children interested in cricket and come up with a whole variety of different schemes 
to do that. And also, I think from my perspective, one of the big challenges is particularly in state schools, getting more, you know, from a cricketing point of view, getting more uh, children from state schools interested in cricket. Um, yeah, we were discussing that on the uh, the last show I had with Lauren, and this was at the beginning when I first started on the radio station, and I remember her saying at the time that obviously um, a lot of these clubs do uh, pick students from private schools, and it does make it much more difficult from those who are from state schools. But as you said, Steve, that you know there are opportunities there for those people who are talented because you've managed to get some, you know, big names uh playing for big clubs um so yeah i agree with you it's just about opportunity and making sure that those avenues are there for our young people who are from uh state schools uh, as well as um from private schools as well and Alex, i think it's about um, making sure it's i think it's about making sure that sport is valued in schools and that's really important i think mm-hmm. i'm going to too many schools where it where it's an afterthought and it's got to be really part and parcel of what the school does. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about primary school because I did some supply teaching in primary schools as well. And I can understand. I have the same frustration, Steve, because obviously I, I've started off with ICT and computing. And it's a very similar thing that in primary school as well, the teachers are teaching so many subjects and things like PE and ICT and computing do get left on the black back burner. And they're not invested in as much as English, maths and science at primary level. And I think that's where that's where the problems do occur. Like we were saying earlier, that when it comes to transition, it is very hard for our students because they don't all necessarily come from the same feeder schools. And then that you know to instill skills in year seven with everybody having similar abilities, you know, sorry, with everyone having different abilities, it's very hard to get certain students involved if they've not had it from a young age. So yeah, definitely definitely agree with that that you know it valued so every subject should be valued um there are no subjects which are more important i think english and maths definitely are important but at the same time that shouldn't be at the expense of other subjects in my opinion um Alex, coming back to you, um, let's talk about young women and empowering them. Sport England have recently funded £1 million. Um, Are you aware of why this has happened and what it's about? Yeah, uh, well, to some degree. um, First and foremost, the females in sport, um, the drop-off sort of as you sort of get a little bit older, even in primary school, into secondary school, and then certainly post, I would say post 15, 16, um, the drop-off of females taking part in in extracurricular, but also their willingness to take part in, in core PE lessons and their basic physical activity. Um, you do see a noticeable drop-off when comparing it to the males um, in sport. And I, and I think that comes down to um, many different factors, one of which uh, could well be um, their perception of sort of role models within sport. Um, are there enough female um, athletes out there in the media that, that girls can look up to and aspire to? Um, are the, and I, I think Steve alluded to this earlier as well, about in terms of the variety and the breadth and depth of sports that you, you put on. If you offer only netball and football and basketball and, and, and don't offer a variety, you're, 
you're limiting the amount of opportunities that girls have to take part in activities that they um, they might enjoy. Leisure activities such as things like yoga, such as um, fitness. Um, if you're just offering purely competitive sports that statistically um, – and many reports looked into it in terms of um, leisure activities versus um, comp- like competitive activities. Girls n- typically favour, um, especially as they get older, those those leisure time activities. I, I think it comes down to um, the activities that you offer and making sure that you're targeting the right uh, the right students. So I do think the the extra money that Sport England has put in is a it's a good start, but. Um, I still think there's a, a long way to go in terms of uh, getting females, certainly post 15, 16, um, still engaged. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I've had Tim messaging saying that he absolutely agrees with Steve uh, about his earlier point that working in a private school um sport often takes priority over academic lessons and activities so steve's 100% right saying that the value of the of the uh, subject is important and that needs to be really really highlighted uh, in state schools um coming back to this uh, this idea for girls uh, this report says that the only reason why uh, girls uh, do not get involved with sport um, is because they they have negative experiences at a young age, which leaves them reluctant to take part in exercise. Um, and, it, you know, there's a campaign called This Girl Can, and that's inspired over 3.9 million women and girls to take steps to get active. Um, and the whole point of it is so that it includes, like Alex said, a variety of activities, not just competitive sports, with workout videos, which could be used in PE lessons because some girls just really do not enjoy certain types of activities. Um, It also says that there needs to be lots of leaders and mentors, so female uh, leaders, to actually advocate sport as well. So I do think it's really important. And myself and my own experiences, if I look back, I went to an outstanding girls' school in Wolfham Forest. And just like Steve's school, we had an outstanding provision and a wide range of sports. And I'm thinking the kind of sports that I enjoyed, we actually did everything. We did uh, dance. um, We did... netball we did hockey and in fact hockey was one of my favorites <laughs> maybe it's because I had a hockey stick but I don't know <laughs> but hockey was fun um, and we did all sorts we did swimming as well we had a we had a wide range of activities that we took part in um, and thank you to TSCW who's just messaged in saying that she doesn't agree that it's the only reason that they've had negative experiences she also says self-image is a massive bar- barrier which I agree with self-image uh, for women is a barrier and in fact the government have started advertising um, campaigns towards uh, older women um, and black ethnic minority communities to not be shy about taking part in sports uh, and trying to get over that image uh, barrier. Um, Could I just make a couple of points there? First of all, you know, I worked at another secondary school in Redbridge before I went to uh, Oaks Park, where I was head, and I didn't think participation rates of girls there was particularly high, and there was a lot of issues there. But I, I did not see that problem at Oaks Park, and I think that's because the environment that was created by the staff there 
which I think was really positive towards PE. So I, I thought that girls' participation rates were very high. We offered a wide variety of sports. We also offered something else there, which was the school sports leadership program, which gave lots of students the opportunity to organise um, sports for you know younger age groups. And we also had a, a school sports award evening, which raised the profile of sports, where we often had a female athlete of some sort. So that gave the girls another really good role model. And I think what is pleasing, quite often when I go over to Redbridge Sports Centre on a Saturday, I still see quite a few girls over there from Oaks Park who are playing netball. Oh, that's great to hear because, um, yeah, totally agree with everything you've said there, Steve. And TSCW has also said that environment and culture is a massive thing. And Absolutely. Yeah, it does, come, it does come down to that. And I, I would agree with that, not just for PE, but uh, other subjects as well, which are sidelined uh, for English and maths only. Um, Alex, I'm going to ask you about SEND and Inclusion 2020. What's that all about? Um, so basically it's come about because there's more and more students with SEND um, coming into mainstream schools. We've seen a huge uh, increase over the last sort of three or four years of, of SEND, um, the size of the departments, the size of students that are sort of uh, included under that umbrella term. Um, and mainstream schools are now having to adapt and and more funding is required that there's still a, a bit of a way to go but um it, it's all down to more SEND students um coming into mainstream schools and ensuring that schools are prepared um for that and um in terms of sport and inclusion and things like that um it's it's challenging but um I think there's a lot more training and and uh, teaching uh, learning that needs to that needs to um happen with it within the inclusion section have your have your students taken part in any um is it it's not paralympic what's it called i'm uh i'm trying to think of the word have they taken part in any uh activities that are for students that have got these needs um, so actually this year there's a student who's just joined our school um, who's visually impaired and mm-hmm. um, and uh, we've he's he's in year seven and he's um, he's brought about a lot of um, conversation and questions around uh, the importance of other students uh, who don't have um, impairments things like that learning and understanding so we've actually um, within the classes that he's involved in in particular and around the whole year seven um, cohort, there's actually been a much greater um, dispersion of knowledge and activities, uh, things like goalball, things like boccia, uh, where activities that students may not have any experience in, they've actually been taking part in. But that's this is the first time that um, we've done this and it's out of necessity more than it is out of... Um, uh, the sort of act, the proactiveness um, of getting these students involved. So this year we have seen that, but uh, historically, um, no, we, we tend to stick to our mainstream, um, what you'd call sort of mainstream sports and activities. Uh, thank you for that. Um, the word I was actually looking for was panathlon because we actually had some students from my school who actually took part in it um, and they did actually win medals uh, and it was good for them because we I've got one student who is in a wheelchair 
and she was able to take part as well and she really enjoyed it um so yeah it is a good uh, good investment that the uh, the government has decided uh, to invest the funding for that as well um in terms of um actions within schools then um did you have any summer holiday activities taking part in your school um so each year we run um sort of it's more of an introduction for the the upcoming year seven so we run a summer school um i think it's becoming more and more popular now amongst schools my previous school did it and also brampton manor does it where they um get the students in for a week um it's mainly based around fun activities where they introduce themselves to the school the site the staff members um so it's a, a week-long uh, introduction, but it's also an opportunity for um, the SEN, uh, SEND team to learn more about their students because the reporting between primary schools and secondary schools, especially for SEND, sometimes students don't get picked up. Sometimes the um, the needs are underplayed or maybe they're more severe than um, what, what it's actually um, – what it actually is. So I think it, I think it is really important that there is that link between primary and secondary, especially um, as mentioned earlier, that the amount of students coming into into mainstream secondary schools now with SEND requirements um, is so much greater than it was even five or six years ago. Um, so yeah, we uh, we do a, a summer school program where um, students come in for a week, but um, we're also very fortunate that we have a um, a basketball. We have a, a basketball, not academy, but we have a basketball coach come in from a company. Um, he also delivers coaching um, for for basketball during half term, some holidays, um, and things like that. So yeah, we do have outside opportunities. Thanks for that, Alex. Uh, Steve, have you uh, seen summer school? Like, what are your thoughts on summer schools that have taken part with the with sports taking part in those summer schools? Yeah, I've what seen uh, you know some of the schools that I work with and seen have summer schools that are involved in uh, you know clubs. Some clubs that are quite willing to you know put resources into these, and uh, I think you know that's a really good example of where we need to do more because you've got six weeks with lots of facilities around you know, to get more students involved in sport. But that obviously requires more funding and it's not easy to organise. Yeah, um, it's not easy to organise. And, you know, I do believe that these teachers who do take part in the summer school activities, they are giving up their free time uh, and they are coordinating this. And sometimes they are, uh, spaces are taken up and sometimes spaces aren't taken up. So it's really important mm. to, um, you know, think about that from a school point, from a leadership point of view, um, you know, what kind of facil- what kind of things you have on offer uh, during those sessions. I'm going to move on to teacher training now, Alex. Um, do you support teachers who are coming in as new teachers, ECTs? Yeah, so um, the schools that I've worked at have really, really good um, teacher training programs. Both schools have um, welcomed uh, teacher training and obviously NQT programs and things like that. I think the provision that's uh, given to those um, those those sort of new to the, the profession teachers is really good. Um, and I do think, obviously, everyone involved in education knows that the dropout rate of teachers within the sort of the first five years is huge. So it's really important that um, new teachers to the profession are, are equipped with as much knowledge, experience, um, and ways to uh, resolve problems and and um, 
And most importantly, they're open to feedback, to learn from the feedback. I, I, I do think there's been a big improvement, um, but the dropout rate is still very, very high within sort of the first five years. So I, I still think there's um, more to be done uh, in terms of teacher training from that. Um, when I was talking about this earlier, uh, it is an issue that it is important that the quality and the standard of uh, teaching and experience has gone down. Um, presumably, that's because obviously we've been through a pandemic and they are learning uh, through the pandemic. And also, mm. um, they're not getting as much time to put their skills into practice. Um, it says here in the report that you know, in order to have high quality PE continuing, there needs to be greater sharing of best practice between schools and support schools to deliver high quality PE lessons that engage all pupils. So, Steve, are you are your schools uh, doing that? Are they sharing best practice? Um, I think probably that's one of the areas where, um, you know, looking at work between schools you do tend to get more sharing uh, from from PE departments who are quite well established with working with each other to organize fixtures and things like that um, so I think that's you know an area where probably PE is perhaps stronger than some of the other areas. Uh, and Alex are you uh, sharing best practice with your local feed lo local schools whether it's primary or whether it's secondary? Um, we, we're partnered with um, sort of our academy trust is partnered with another academy. So we do share um, practice. I do think it's an area that we could be better at. And I, I do think collaborative learning and collaboration as a whole is is really beneficial for all schools. One big issue that is sort of it always comes down to is finding the time. Mm. Do you have time if we're trying to run fixtures and clubs after school? Do you have time post uh, end of the school day to go to another school can you do it on google classroom do you have the time um to collect and have a look through these resources um so i, I think that's something that, um as a as a sort of a nationwide thing there is a little bit of room to improve on but as steve says in terms of collaboration with fixtures with clubs um p i think is certainly leading the way in terms of um getting many different schools together uh to host um, host opportunities for students to be active in a physical sense. But I think academically, I still think there's a little bit more that, that could be done. Uh, and I think with regard to all collaboration, what it requires is somebody, it doesn't just happen. You need someone to actually drive it yeah. through. And so you need some sort of structure to do that. Yeah, I mean, if I go back to this report, I totally agree with you. Uh, having the support and having some structure uh, and things like that in place is important. Um, the DfE actually says that the uh, content of the ITT, which is the initial teacher training, means that teachers should be having the right training and development to deliver high quality PE lessons to make sure that they've got the highest, highest quality of physical education. Uh, and they have actually said in their report that they're going to work with schools, teaching unions and the Association for Physical Education to explore how further to support PE teachers and schools to deliver high quality PE lessons. Uh, and that is by sharing best practice from many schools uh, so that the lessons are modern and engaging 
and they're fun. Um, and they've also said that um, they need to help teachers uh, to help students foster positive attitudes towards physical education. Uh, and there's a number of organizations they're going to work for. So if you are uh, interested in this, then you can easily find their report on their on their website, which goes into a, a lot of detail. Um, and they also say that already over a thousand secondary schools have benefited from the scheme that they've got in place already. Now, when I look at all of this, uh, and I'm thinking that there are a number of issues that we've highlighted today, which obviously, um, you know, school leaders need to think about, as well as middle leaders and teachers within schools. Alex, is there anything else that you think that um, schools should be doing to ensure that our students are, that, you know, that we're doing everything that we possibly can to engage our students? I think it all comes down to um, two things, probably the, the department and the um, and the ethos that the school has. If the school is very uh, academic driven and PE is just sort of put to the side, as as is apparent in a few schools, um, but also the um, the opportunities that the school provides, which I suppose links back to how important the school values PE. Um, I just think there's so that PE has so many opportunities for students to transfer the skills that they learn within physical activity, within competition, mm-hmm. into other aspects uh, of their education, overcoming problems, uh, resolving challenges, working together. As Steve said earlier, it all it all sort of stems from um, the ethos and the culture that's created um, within a department, within a school, uh, and how you can best. Um, encourage the children to to understand why PE is important. If they, I think, if they can understand the why, um, that will carry them forward later on in life to to hopefully continue to. Because we don't want students just to take part in physical activity until the age of eighteen, and then once they reach eighteen, because there's no school, they stop. We want to encourage that sort of lifelong participation um, in the activities that they take part in. Thank you, and Steve. Any last minute thoughts no, I, I just think you know it is about creating the culture within the school you know I would like to see you know a real push over the next few years on extracurricular activities to try and get more schools involved to increase the number of schools that are playing in competitions um, you know because uh, I think last year was quite difficult I, I, I run the Essex schools cricket competitions normally we get about 40 schools entered Last year, we got 16, so that's a massive drop, and that was a lot of schools who said they weren't playing because of difficulties with regard to COVID. I would like to think that that number would go back up this year. The positive news is we've got more girls playing cricket, and also, I think what we're doing is looking at ways in which we can make it easier for schools to enter, so change the way we're running some of the competitions to make it easier for schools to enter. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning that, Steve, because it does actually say in this report that one of the agendas is to set out a clear pathway of competition uh, to strengthen school games um, so that that is taking place as well. It's just about whether it's all happening down at grassroots level uh, within local areas, um, because obviously it's all very well having a government report that outlines all of this, but it actually not taking place because when it gets into leadership teams and schools, they're not actually you know uh, carrying out the things that they should be at a local level now the only Um, thing i would say sabia is you know covid hasn't mm -hmm. finished yet and lots of schools are still experiencing lots of problems with this as i'm sure you know so 
uh, you yes. know, I think it's early days yet to look at some of these things. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully there won't be another lockdown. <laughs> Judging hopefully. by what's happening in the news recently, hopefully there won't be another lockdown. But hopefully we can get we can all get back to normal soon, and we can get these clubs up and running again, and the competitions running as well. And just one final thought from me, um, with regards to something Alex was saying earlier, that sometimes it is difficult for parents to allow their children to go to these clubs because of the areas they're in and because of the timings of the day and and stuff like that. Um, it does actually say uh, in this report that we do need to make things convenient for parents, making sure that we're, you know, aligning our working hours uh, with alongside their working hours uh, and what works for them and also being in a safe and well-known location so that their children are safe whilst they're attending these clubs and activities. So... A lot of information there, all related to sport. If you would like to find out more information, you can look at the School Sport and Activity Action Plan, which is aimed at primary schools, but there's a lot of information uh, that secondary schools can take from it. And it was July 2019 on the government website, their new framework, which Ofsted will also be uh, looking for when they come to your school. Steve and Alex, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank, Thank you, Governors. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm sure our listeners have um, heard a wealth of information. And Alex, you're you're 100% correct. You are trying to influence and get more students engaged uh, to take up the sport. And I do think you made a very valuable uh, contribution earlier when you said that um, it's really important to get women uh, and other uh, disadvantaged groups into sports at a much later stage. So not just uh, at secondary school, but also when they go on to sixth form and university, because like Steve said earlier, uh, it's really important for students who do have an enjoyment in it, they might want to continue afterwards as well. Um, a couple of messages that have come in from TSCW. We've had messages all day today. So thank you to everyone who's been messaging in um, and everybody who's been liking the show. Uh, TSCW with a final thought. It's been great and has given some clarity of thought and helped me get my thoughts together on some things in their school. So thank you so much for all your comments and contributions today. Um, okay. Um, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Uh, I'm not going to give a long summary or speech because it is half term and everyone wants to get away. Uh, <laughs> just a shout out to Lauren. Just a shout out to Lauren, who is ill. Um, and we hope she gets well soon and is able to make it back on another show. Massive thank you to Alex um, for all the information you gave us today. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, and also Steve. Um always, always giving us valuable, valuable experience and wisdom uh, from his long career. Have a fabulous holiday and a well-deserved break. Uh, you are on a break, so please make sure you look after yourselves. Um, we would next usually have Graham, but unfortunately Graham's not well today uh, and it is there is something going around. Um, hopefully Khalil will be on. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. I will see you now in two weeks' time. Take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.